0: Well, good morning, everybody. Um, welcome to to Youth Sunday. I'm super excited about um, all the amazing things that our students have been preparing for, and um, I'm very biased, but I think that that was the best worship set we've ever had. Um, so I just want to take a moment and give them one more round of applause. They were awesome. So, our students have had an absolute blast this summer, growing, serving, and fellowshipping. And it was around this time last summer that I was packing up my house in Ohio to move down here to get to hang out with these crazy kids full-time. That kind of blows my mind that it was just a year ago that I was ready to come down here and get to hang out with, as I lovingly call them, my favorite hooligans. And that got me thinking about my first Sunday at Southwest. Sunday school and service had gone well. I was getting to know the students and only got lost twice, which I thought was impressive because we only have two hallways. And then Sunday evening comes around, and Gavin, our interim at the time, told me Alex, you don't have to teach or do small group or really anything tonight. Just come hang out, get to know the students, get to know how we do things. And I was like, great, awesome. I can just hang out with students. That's like the best part of my job. And a big part of our Southwest students' culture is that we have fun together. So group games are a very regular occurrence at youth group. And the game that night was line kickball. Now if you've never played line kickball, it's pretty simple. You kick the ball like you would in a normal game of kickball. And then instead of running towards a base, to go go around the bases, you run between two cones. Like you basically do wind sprints and somehow we find this one, But you run between two cones as many times as you can before the other team gets the ball back to the pitcher. Easy enough. And I want the kids to see that I like, and I like hanging out with them. I love playing games. I love being silly. So I hop on a team and I get up to kick, and it's a high fly ball to left center field as Alex takes off towards first base, which does not exist. So as I realize, hey, first base doesn't exist, I try and pivot, mid-run, trip over my ankle, fall and slide and eat so much red clay in front of all of the students. Fantastic top-notch first impression. But we all had a good laugh, and that memory actually brings up an idea that we've been talking about in a variety of different ways through the summer, and that idea is this. It doesn't matter how well you're running if you're running in the wrong direction. It doesn't matter how great you are at a thing if it's not the thing that God called you to do. So... In the midst of all this uncertainty in the world that we have today and all of the craziness that's happening, a lot of us are asking, and a lot of the students have been asking, what do we do? How do we handle this? What's next? Now, I saw this as a great time to kind of recalibrate as we're just starting a new school year. Um, Students, congratulations. You made it through your first week of school, all two days of it. but the thing that we want to see as we head into this new season is a movement of God not only in the world, yes, but in our community, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, on our kids' soccer teams or football teams. We want to see God work in our lives personally. And while there's a tendency in Christianity and in the church that churches just mainly a bunch of people who sing really loud, pray before they eat, try not to do drugs, and give some money to missions. Nothing could be further from the truth because God wants more for his people. God has called his people to be more. All throughout the Bible, you hear stories of how God has rescued people out of their broken and shattered lives and brought them into his world of extravagant grace, mercy, and hope with answers life's questions and hope and redemption from life's burdens and isn't that what we want for our kids our communities our families for those paralyzed by fear we want them to meet the god of the bible who is the prince of peace for those racked by loneliness we want them to meet the heavenly father who has adopted them into a forever family And for those with a past that they're not proud of, we want them to know desperately that God's grace is bigger than any of our sins. So here's the million-dollar question. How do we bring about, how do we see this movement of God in our lives? And the good news is that Jesus didn't just leave us with questions and no answers. If we take a look at John 2, we'll see a pivotal moment in the life of Jesus, where it all gets started because of a huge wedding fail. Now, if you're anything like me, you love a good fail video. I find them to be some of the funniest things in the world. They're the best, as long as they're not happening to me. And wedding fails can be some of the best videos that the internet has to offer. From little kids crying as they come down the aisle, I'm related to that little kid, (laughs) to someone dancing too hard, knocking over the cake, Or, like Ross and friends, you say the wrong name at the altar. Wedding fails are funny until it's your wedding. And I have my own uh, wedding fail story that I can laugh about now, but I can promise you that it was not funny at the time. (laughs) Um, When Scott and I got married, it was a perfect fall day. Absolutely picture perfect. It was the best. Um, I had the best wedding ever. I'm not biased, it's 100% true. <laughs> All the guests were, were seated, and the groom and the groomsmen had walked out and were ready for the bridesmaids to come down the aisle, and then for me, myself, to come down the aisle, and whoa, we're gonna have this perfect ceremony, and like doves are gonna sing, and it's gonna be awesome. And that's, that's where we start this story, is like everybody's ready and waiting. And now weddings are stressful days. Let's just be honest about that. They're supposed to be these magical, you know, fairy tale things, but they're actually stressful days, especially for the bride. And I knew that I was going to forget things or get overwhelmed, and so against my type A personality, I decided to delegate some things. My maid of honor was given the task of making sure that I had my flowers before I walked down the aisle. That was it. Hand Alex flowers so that she can walk down the aisle. So back to the story, we're all lined up, everybody's waiting, the bridesmaids start taking their turns, the ring bearer goes, I reassure my niece that she will be the most beautiful flower girl ever and that everybody will love her and that nobody will even notice me because they will be so focused on her, the things we say to six year olds to get them to go down the aisle. And that's when I realize I don't have my flowers, I have nothing in my hands. Now I'm about to walk down the aisle and marry a wedding photographer. So you can imagine how much these pictures mean to me. And I refused to walk down the aisle with nothing in my hands. Not to mention, my mom and I had made my bouquet. It wasn't something that I ordered and let a professional do. Like, I had decided that I could do that. That will be awesome. Pinterest taught me. So my mom and I made my bouquet. And I was actually really proud of it. And I wanted the whole world to see it. So I did the only thing I could think of, and I turned around and walked away from the aisle, away from my guest, and 100% looked like Runaway Bride as I did it. Absolutely did. Now, thankfully, Scott had his back turned from the ceremony so that he could turn around and have the big reveal first look down the aisle. So he saw none of this. But most of my guests and my parents did see it. And what do you do? Um, Everybody had just seen me turn and run away from my wedding. And like, you you just kind of twiddle your thumbs awkwardly like, is she gonna come back? I hope so. (laughs) Um, We haven't had cake yet. Now, a few moments later, I returned flowers in hand and made my grand entrance and the day went on to be amazing. But that was a pretty stressful five minutes for everybody who saw me turn tail and run, especially my mom, because she had no idea why I was running away from my wedding three minutes before I was supposed to say I do. But it was actually worse in Jesus' day. As stressful as weddings can be today, in Jesus' day, weddings were a social status thing. Weddings were a way to show off your wealth, your popularity, by throwing the most extravagant parties and inviting the most influential people now this is the backdrop for Jesus's first miracle so let's pick up in John chapter 2 starting in verse 1 on the third day a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee Jesus's mother was there and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding when the wine was gone Jesus's mother said to him they have no more wine now this would have been a major problem This is not like running out of Chick-fil-A sauce with two chicken nuggets left. As much of a problem as we find that to be. But there was so much pressure. There was so much riding on this wedding, on this family. To run out of food or to run out of wine would have brought incredible shame on the groom's family. And so we pick up in verse 4 and Jesus says, Woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. I want to pause here because if we're anything like me, I'm going, and these servants were probably going, Jesus, what are you like, dude, what are you talking about? We're out of wine, not water, like weren't you listening? We're in crisis here. This doesn't solve the problem. But still, we see in the second half of verse 7, they filled them to the brim. So then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. Again, they listened to Jesus' instructions, and they did what he said. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine, yet he did not realize where it had come from though the servants who had drawn the water knew. He called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best until now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Now in this story, we can see three different ideas of how to see a movement of God in our lives. And the first one is to realize that God wants to use you. Not just some random person, not oh somebody else will handle that. No, God has a calling for you. And for me and for all of these awesome students here today. God wants to use you. It's really easy to miss, but let's take a moment and focus on who Jesus chose to use in this miracle. Jesus used simple workers at a wedding in a small town to work his first miracle. Think about it. Servants were the first people Jesus called to be a part of showing off his glory. Now, sometimes I wonder, and I kind of wish, that God would save more athletes, celebrities, billionaires, Because how much good could we do, how many hospitals could we build, wells could we dig, with the wealth of Amazon's Jeff Bezos? That would be incredible, it would be awesome. Like, God, why aren't we saving more of those people? But that's the point, is that throughout history, God has used the most unlikely, ordinary people to accomplish his plan. And I think the reason is that God chooses The ordinary to display his extraordinary love, grace, and gospel to a broken and hurting world. If we just flip through the Bible, even just casually, you'll see that God specializes in using cowards, like Gideon. Uh, He used murderers, like Moses. Drunks, like Noah. Liars, like Jacob. He used a donkey. He used widows. Teenagers. He used David, just like you are. He used the sick And he even brought someone back from the dead. In choosing the ordinary, in choosing the servants in the low, Jesus reached out to everybody considered to be on the bottom, showing that there was no one too broke, too poor, or too insignificant for his kingdom, for his movement. So if we're going to see a movement of God, we have to recognize that God wants to use us. We have to think, okay, I woke up this morning, God wants to use me. Now, for some of you, that means that God wants to use you in your soccer team or your friend group or at work in the hallways. For others who have extraordinary talents and abilities, God wants you to use those too to help further his kingdom. And another thing that we see out of this miracle is that we have to listen to the voice of Jesus. If we're going to see a movement of God in our lives, we have to listen to the voice of God telling us what to do. Now, remember the story? Mary told the servants, do whatever he tells you. And what did they do? They listened. They clearly heard his instructions. He gave them their marching orders, and they obeyed, even though it didn't make much sense at the time. Now, let's be real. If we're listening more to what the news, social media, TikTok, whatever it may be, more than we're spending time in scripture, more than we're listening to the word of God, what what voices, what influences are we really paying attention to? Listening to the voice of Jesus recenters our thinking and reminds us of who we belong to. It reminds us of where our hope lies. It challenges those lies that we're tempted to believe. Now, throughout the summer, during each camp or trip that the students have been a part of, there has been this theme of identity. And not only knowing who we are in Christ, but understanding that as his disciples, we are not just passive participants in life. So we've talked through those things, and we've talked through the importance of stopping to listen to the voice of Jesus before we move. Taking time to learn what his voice sounds like, so that we can better separate the voice of God from all of the white noise that the world happens to throw at us. Now, adults in the room, I'm sure we can all relate to how hard it is to block out the world, even for just a week, to go on vacation, to have time to unplug and breathe. We think about all the emails waiting for us when we get back to our desk. We think about all the work we're going to have to catch up on and just the general white noise that life produces and prevents us from being able to have a truly quiet space to listen. Now I believe that for teenagers, this is even harder to do. And while no, Linda from accounting is not blowing up their email, but Instagram and TikTok and whatever social media that they're using is flooding their phone constantly Their hearts and their minds are racing, trying to figure out who they are in this crazy world, what that looks like, and what it means for them as they walk the halls of Madras, or Northgate, Bass, or even East Coweta. And these students, they don't yet have the ability to completely ration through turning off and turning away from some of these distractions, to take time daily to be in the word so they can learn to listen to the voice of their creator. And I fully believe that God worked this summer together. High school camp, our impact serve week, middle school camp, CIY move, all very different events and trips and weeks and audiences. And all of them talked about the importance of knowing who you are in Christ and learning how to listen to his voice. And there's no way that that happened on accident. That was 100% God. Reminding these students all summer long, listen for me. Take time to learn my voice. Now, one of the things that we pressed all summer was that this this ability to listen and know the voice of God takes time. That it's not just, oh yeah, that was Jesus, got it, cool. It takes time to get to know him. It takes time to build that relationship. And to build the discipline of learning to step out of the world and step out of the white noise and just breathe and know the voice of God. But it's such an important practice to take that time to either read scripture or just sit quietly and sit without distractions. Now, we talked a lot this summer about how if we continue to maintain this discipline, Of listening to God and stopping before we do anything to listen to is this God telling me to move or is this the world telling me what I should or have to do? That we talked about how some of the greatest things that happen in life are not those huge dramatic moments, but they happen through a long series of stopping, listening to God, and then moving moving towards god consistently walking with god consistently because we've learned to know his voice and the last idea that we see out of this par- out of this miracle if we want to see this movement of god is that we have to recognize that there is work to be done think back to the story one more time how did the servants get the water to fill up those jars We didn't have a hose in that they could just like turn on the sprinkler and wait a couple of minutes. They had to go to a well, draw up water, carry the bucket of water back, dump it in, and do that again and again and again. Imagine the amount of work that it took for the servants to fill up these six jars. Remember, they each would have held 20 to 30 gallons. That is quite a lot of trips, a lot of water. But that's exactly the point. If we're going to see God move, we also have to move. We have to recognize that there's work to be done. Now, this is about faith. We've stopped and we've listened to the voice of God, and now we're going to go, all right, Jesus, I don't understand it, much like those servants did. I don't understand it, but I'm going to choose to walk with you anyway. Now, our salvation, we know, is not based on works, but on grace. At the same time, we recognize that there's a blessing in listening to his voice and in serving him. You see, grace is opposed to earning. We cannot earn anything from God. But grace is not opposed to effort. This is the part where we step up. because There is a lot of work to do. And all we have to do is trust God to handle the results. Even if we don't quite understand the plan yet, trust God that he's got this in control. For sometimes that may look like simply opening your Bible, even when we really don't want to, because I know that there are mornings when I don't want to sit and have quiet time because it'll make me late and I need to just rush out the door. Or I want to hit snooze 47 times, and I don't want to take that time to be with God. But every time that we take the time to open Scripture, we're trusting that God's going to speak through us, speak to us, even if it's something that we really kind of don't want to do this morning. God's going to use that time to grow our faith. Students, anytime you invite a student, a fellow friend to your FCA or to youth group, you're trusting that God works in people's hearts. And anytime that we invite students or friends on a Sunday, every time that we show up early just to help out and be there, we're trusting that God is going to work through our service, and through the hearts of others. So I want to encourage you to bloom where you're planted. God calls us to be faithful in the small things, in the situation where you are, because God is doing incredible work for you, and in you, and through you. And God will promote you under his influence, in his timing, in his way. And you never know the day that God's going to tap you on the shoulder and go, Hey, I'm using you today, right now. Here we go. Be ready. So if we want to see a movement of God in our life, in our schools, in our city, in our neighborhoods, we have to realize that God uses us, us ordinary people who cannot play kickball. And we've got to listen to his voice. And absolutely, we have to recognize that there is work to do. Now, for some of us, the work we have to do is to continue to listen to that still, small voice. For some, it's to remember that being a disciple is not a label. It's a call to action. And for others, the work we have to do is to choose to follow him and serve him with all that we are. So as Robbie and the band come up, if your next step is to commit to Christ and to following him, I want to invite you not to wait another day. If your next step is to join our Southwest family, we would love to have you. Or if you simply want someone to pray with, don't wait because there is work to do.